Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheaves. Thank you, Dave. Don't answer. What is that song about? Don't answer. What is it about? Y'all know that as a kid, I thought about bringing in the cheese. It's what made sense to me. It never made sense, but that was the word that I heard, and so that's what you say in that song. And so when I finally realized this is not bringing in the cheese, I thought, well, what are sheaves? And then I heard it was about farming, and I thought, oh, I don't have anything to do with that. So I've sung that song for years. And I thought, you know what? It's, I know it's not cheese, but what is it? And so I just, I, back there, I was looking at it. What in the world is that really talking about? Why is that song there? That song is a great song to sing when things are going bad for a long period of time. When things are going bad for a long period, that song will help. But you got to think about the words because it's kind of a happy song, and we don't want to sing a happy song when things are going bad. But just thought I'd share that with you. Chronological study of the Bible, Solomon again did not include this in his book. What is Solomon doing right now? <coughs> I believe that these proverbs that we're covering in this section were written with the other proverbs. I think he purposely left them, left them out. Hezekiah's men came 200 years later and added them back in. So what is Solomon doing right now? Technically, everything in this section is at one moment in time. Just one moment. Solomon's written them, we're studying them because he wrote them, but they weren't added in until later. So we're just we're stuck in that one second of time as we go through the end of the book. Proverbs 27, beginning with verse number 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We covered this last week. Basically, this is where the concept of tough love comes from. Tough love comes from people who care enough to tell you the hard stuff. People who are nice all the time are nice all the time because they don't care. That's important. That's important. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. The same concept in both Proverbs. Flattery, kisses, a flattering mouth, flattery should always be suspicious. But we love it. We love it. Flattery should always be suspicious. It is general. That's what makes it flattery versus praise, which says, you did a good job doing this. This was good. That's what God does. Flattery is what the devil does. The devil is more commonly um, uh, the bearer of guilt. But flattery and guilt is the same thing. It's just different emotions. It's general and often reveals enemies. That's something that we probably ought to remember. Flattery is general and often reveals enemies. Why? Because they're just giving general sweeping statements that will butter us up so they can get what they want. That's the purpose of flattery is so they can benefit from it. 
flattery is used often at work. If a boss just comes at it, you're great, you're awesome. Ask yourself, what is my boss really asking for? On the other hand, if my boss comes to me and says, this thing that you did, that was good. Keep that up. That's praise, and that's simply something to keep you on track. Flattery always should be suspicious. Praise talks about specific acts always. When the Bible says praise the Lord, it's always talking about say something that God did. Say something that God did. Give Him praise. Give Him credit. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with flattery. And by the way, if we go to God and say, God, you're a good God, you're great, but deep down inside, we're kind of angry at him because he's not doing anything we want, us, we want him to do, he can see right through that. And we should be able to see through flattery as well. Luke 22, Ray read this a few minutes ago, verse 47, While he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near Jesus to kiss him. Now, in our culture, that just seems weird, okay? It's no different than walking up and saying, hey, Wade, how are you? Okay? The signal is who I greet first. That was the signal. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? This is where the famous term Judas kiss comes from. It goes all the way back to Proverbs 27, verse number 6. Again, it's flattery, okay? If Judas was honest, he would have come up with a different sign. If he was honest, he would have said, watch for the person under the most stress. He would have said, watch for the person doing most of the talking. But instead, he marches right up and says, hey, Jesus, how are you? Okay, flattery. Flattery should always, always warn us to be aware Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Very, very important verse as we look at Proverbs 27, 6. Our sinful nature wants to respond wrongly to both the wounds of a friend and the kisses of an enemy. Our sinful nature wants to respond wrongly to both the kisses and the wounds. I do not like to be corrected. I have to remember if someone is correcting me, it's because they care enough to correct me. And I should not get angry at them. But my nature wants to just say, this is none of your business. Who are you to tell me? They are doing it because they care enough to risk offending us. On the other hand, the kiss of an enemy, the flattery, I love that. I want to be around people that think I'm the greatest thing in the world. If we're in a position of influence, this is very, very important. Um, presidents, um, celebrities tend to surround themselves with flatterers. Typically, you won't see a, a, a person of influence surround themselves with negative people. But if a person cares enough to tell us the truth, that's a sign that we need to hold back and think about the words. Be very careful when responding out of emotion. Better yet, just don't respond. Don't respond. In anger or in praise. 
because by, by nature, it's probably going to be wrong. Take a moment to think about what they said. What is it this person truly said? What does this person have to gain by saying it? What do they have to lose by saying it? Verse 7, The full soul loatheth a honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. This is how to make broccoli taste like dessert. This is how to make your wife the most desirable woman that you know. It's how any cook can be a five-star chef. It's how to make any home or car the best in the world. And in my experience, it works every single time. Every single time. But the way that it's worth it, it's like, what in the world is it talking about? Having plenty, that's the full soul, okay? Uh, I've been watching uh, this show called Airline Disasters, and in every one of them tell about how many souls were on board, okay? That's just simply saying the person who is full, okay? What is full? It's what most of us were at the end of Thanksgiving. The full soul, having plenty, makes everything, including the honeycomb, less than satisfying. Being full of anything, having enough, makes everything less than satisfying is what that says. Fasting anything, the hungry soul, doing without anything, whether it's on purpose or not, makes everything else, every bitter thing, takes it all the way to the extreme, better. Having plenty makes everything less than satisfying. I am convinced this is the number one major problem in America is success. We cannot get enough because we already have too much. I use this proverb every single day. I used it Thursday. Not very successfully, but I did use it on Thursday. Food is my weakness. That's no big secret around here. But I do need it to live. Okay? There are people with weaknesses that they know they should not have anything of. For instance, a drug addict should not have anything to do with drugs. But a food addict, he's got to have some food to live. How do I know how much is too much? That's the big question. And a person who justifies their actions, this is exactly what they will use. Well, I need it to live, but you don't need that much. Well, who determines how much I need to live? This proverb determines it. I am always hungry for pizza. I could eat pizza right now, and I say a whole a pizza, a whole thing. Okay. My daughter used to work at Pizza Hut years ago, and she introduced me. Everybody thinks this is gross, but oh, she introduced me to barbecue beef pizza. It just sounds like it wouldn't work, but I, I can eat it and eat it and get sick and still eat some more. That's how much I love barbecue pizza. I'm always hungry for pizza. But if I'm truly in need, the pizza box looks good. Now, on a diet, you will experience this. I've had times uh, with my daughter on Tuesdays we go out and she wants to know what I want. Often I'll say, the cardboard's good. Anything is good because I'm truly in need. I don't care if it's this restaurant, that restaurant, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, something out of the garbage can, I've got to eat. Okay? The full soul 
the person has plenty loatheth the honeycomb when it comes to pizza you're gonna love this there's a certain type of pizza if it comes from this company I won't eat it I don't care how fresh I just won't eat it I'm not that hungry it's just not that good but on the other hand you may be hungry and I will eat their box their box does taste good this will not take temptation away. Very important, this will not take temptation away. It regularly, though, makes apples taste like chocolate cake. Last night, I'm craving anything. I open the refrigerator, look down, there's a green, gray stiff apple. Oh, man. Pull that thing out and chop it up with a knife. Oh, so good. Very few people can do that. Very few, particularly after Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, we have so much of food that is so good that Friday, we only want the leftovers. Saturday comes and it's like, all right, the leftovers are gone. Now we gotta go back to normal. It's like, nothing really tastes that good. It's not uncommon for people to skip food almost all day Saturdays because the leftovers are gone. It, read, it clearly identifies what is real and what is temptation. Again, very important with uh, um, people who need what their temptation is on a certain level. This will work, by the way, with any need. Any need. Whatever it is that your sin is, and all of us know what our sin is. It's not a, a big question for us as individuals. Whatever it is that our sin is and we feel like we can't do without, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. The hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Will I accept a lesser option? That's the question to ask under temptation. Will I accept a lesser option? If the only thing that's going to answer my need is this one particular thing, you don't need it. That's all there is to it. You just don't need it. That answers the lie that we have to have this particular thing. There have been times in my life where I was eating my feelings and I feel like I had to eat something. But not just something, it had to be cookies or it had to be hamburger, it had to be french fries and those french fries better be fresh and they better be hot. If not, it won't help. It's because I was full and didn't need the item. If no, if I will not accept a lesser option, I don't need it. And I can go to Satan and say, Satan, you're lying to me. You're lying. The temptation will still be there, but we'll recognize it as temptation. We will recognize that no, we don't have to have this thing, whatever it is. This is extremely helpful in a panic. And people who are addicted, uh, whether it's food or whatever, people who are addicted live in panic. That's what works the best to keep the addiction going. By the way, why does Satan use addictions? Because it keeps us from doing what we should be doing. That's the whole purpose of addiction. Temptation says, I need it. The answers, this, this answers that lie. And it's so helpful. I use it again every single day because I never know how much to eat. For those of you that say you need this much food three times a day, you're wrong. This is not enough food for anybody. But science says that's how much, that's the size of your stomach, three times a day, fill it up, and that's it. Who can eat like that? 
I've never been able to control it like that. This does help me control it, and I submit to you it will help you control whatever it is that your uh, uh, panic button is. Having plenty again, the full soul, makes everything, the honeycomb, less than satisfying. Remember that. Having plenty makes everything less than satisfying. Fasting anything makes everything else better. This will work, again, in my experience, every single time. Verse 8, as a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Don't answer out loud. Is this recommending that you never leave the nest? That's what I always thought it was recommending. As a bird that wandered from her nest, so is a man that wandered. Well, it's obviously bad to wander from your place, and so you should stay close to home. But that's not what it's teaching at all. If she leaves just to go exploring, which is leaving the nest, or a man going out to explore, whatever, she may bring death on herself. And there's been a lot of people in history that have just gone exploring with cigarettes or alcohol, drugs, just try it once, okay? Crack cocaine, they, they say the first hit and you're addicted, all right? Never, ever, ever explore with these things because they can bring death on you in the same way that a bird that just goes and flies around. She's liable to get into a situation she can't handle. But if she stays there, this is the other side of the coin. If she stays there, she will die. You cannot just stay in the nest. Why is this so important? A slothful person will quote this proverb. A slothful person would say, well, the Bible says you shouldn't wander from your nest, so I'm just staying around my nest. It justifies sin, and that's why it's so important to study Scripture, not just quote a verse and then say, well, this is what, it's got to fit. All of them have to fit with each other. It's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Some people's theology their religion, so to speak, is a jigsaw puzzle, but it's three pieces. This, 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 and that's, that's what they believe. The rest of the Bible, they just don't fool with. If we look at the Bible as individual thoughts, whether it's a chapter long, a verse long, a sentence long, that has to fit with everything before and everything after, suddenly that puzzle becomes much, much, much more intricate. And so we have to go through and say, well, this piece would fit here, but because it can't fit on this side, then that can't be the piece. And so as we try to put it all together, make it all work, it really will focus what is available at the end of the, of, of the situation. A lot of Christians never get to this point. A lot of preachers don't either. There's a lot of preachers, when they preach, they simply quote something that's already been written. Is that wrong? I'm not going to say it's wrong. It's dangerous. Continually be learning. How does Proverbs 27 verse 8 fit with my entire belief in God? It does matter how Proverbs 27 8 matters in our theology. We are exactly the same. If we stay, in this, stay at home, we will die. I do not miss what I have not tried. This is a proverb that's not in the Bible. In fact, I've never seen it on paper anywhere, but I have lived by it for years. I do not miss what I have not tried. My daughter, Samantha, she loves trying new things. And quite often, she finds something 
that she loves. Now, there's one thing that she loves, and I do not get it, and that's oysters. She dearly loves oysters. She loves them so much, she keeps trying to get me to try them. I refuse to try them. Why? It's expensive. Oysters are not cheap. It's also dangerous because you can easily get sick from eating oysters. I don't want either of those problems, so I do not try it. I do not miss what I have not tried. I don't miss cigarettes because I've never tried cigarettes. There are things in my life, Burger King, that I have tried that I do miss. I miss it all the time, and I wish there were, I never went to Burger King in the first place. Okay, My life would be so much easier if I had never tried Burger King. Well, why not? It's, it's a free country. It's, it's, you only get one life. you got to live it up. Okay, These are the things that cause us problems later. Using the last proverb, the full soul of the honeycomb, using the last proverb will help identify what to do in the situation. Should I wonder and explore as a bird? If I stay still, I'm going to die. Okay, at the very least, I'm slothful and I'm not doing something. So I've got to leave the nest. Just like going to work, I've got to go to work somewhere, somehow. On the other hand, Am I headed a direction that I should not go? Verse 7 will identify it. I don't need more food temptation personally. I don't need it. I got plenty of it. So I don't wander around new restaurants ever. Ever. My daughter will take me to new restaurants. You know what I get every time? What does every restaurant have? Salad. I don't, she says, well, you got to try this. It's so good. I don't want to try that. I've got enough food temptation in my life. I don't want to try that. I do need to avoid sloth. That is something that I am prone to is sloth. You know what I did the last two days? Nothing. I didn't go outside the last two days. I need to avoid sloth. I am always looking for a more enjoyable activity. Always. Michelle and I have tried everything. Tennis, um, any kind of sports where two people can play. Um, we, we have tried, and I don't like any of them. None of them. And I have prayed regularly, Lord, please give me some kind of activity that I will want to do. When I was a kid, I used to love riding a bike, and I thought, that's it. Get a bike. Problem is, is I am not a kid anymore. I don't balance on a bike. I don't have the energy to even get the thing going 10 feet, and that's not enjoyable anymore. So I've got a bike that's sitting outside covered in dust. You see these, these commercials on TV, get, just, just get this particular exercise machine. You'll love it. I can't tell you how many of those things I bought and throw it away because they lied. This is my latest enjoyable exercise. And I do this every single day that I'm at work, okay? I took this picture from the fourth floor of this particular area. My truck is actually on the first floor. These trees are on the second floor. Then there's another floor to the fourth floor. For some reason, I look forward to going to this place, climbing four flights of stairs and just looking out of the horizon. I enjoy that. I look forward to it. I'm not quite to, ready to do it twice. I'm not ready to skip steps. But it encourages me 
it makes me feel better to climb up once. When I get to the top, no lie, my heart is beating. I know it's valuable. But to get myself to do something else, just not there. I'd rather stay in my nest. Okay? So this proverb goes both ways. We have to go and look for what God has for us within his will. But we need to be very careful not to go farther than we need to go. And again, the proverb about the full soul, that will identify how far we should go. Verse 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. This proverb's never made sense because I don't like either one of them. Michelle never, ever, ever wears perfume because if she does, it will make me crazy. I hate perfume. I, as far as I'm concerned, perfume, and if you, if ladies, if you wear it, I'm not aware of it. So don't, I don't, I'm not trying to get anybody to change. Okay? I'm not aware of anybody who wears perfume. But it, for me, smelling perfume, even in a public place, is like smelling a smoker. It's exactly just the same thing. Both smells are equally repulsive. Ointment and perfume, though, that's good things we don't necessarily need. Good things we don't necessarily need, like a nice car. We don't need a nice car. We need a car. Honeycombish food. My daughter thinks she needs honeycombish food. I don't. I don't need it. Internet. I threw this one on a purpose. We are in a day where we think we need the internet and we don't. We don't. People throw more money away on the internet unnecessarily than any other expenditure as I have experienced it as council people. Constantly throwing money away on something I need. No, we don't need the internet. It is ointment and perfume. It's a good thing. It can be helpful. It can also be hurtful, but we don't necessarily need it. How do I know that I don't need it? Jesus didn't have it. If Jesus didn't have it, I don't need it. There's a way to do my life exactly the way Jesus did. You say, well, Jesus didn't have a car either. Jesus made sure that all his responsibilities were within walking distance, and we can do that today. They do it in New York City today. You don't need a car. You just have to plan our life. Good things we don't necessarily do make life more enjoyable. Solomon admits it. The Bible admits it. Good things that we don't necessarily need do make life more enjoyable. They're not necessarily bad. We don't have to go through life as paupers. God created things. I submit to you God created everything for his children to enjoy. The other people get to enjoy it because they're here. But God created everything to be enjoyed within the limits of, of his rules. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. In the same way that these nice things that I don't necessarily need make my day more enjoyable, so does the sweetness of a man's friend, a good friend, hearty counsel. Hearty counsel is strong advice. This is a friend that cares enough to tell me the truth regardless of how I'm going to feel about it. I know I can trust what this person says because they care. They have proved that they care. This is not just somebody off the street. This may not even be anybody at church. Okay, At church, we think we know each other. We know 
I know who I think you are, but until I've been to work with you, I don't know any of you. I just don't. You don't know me, by the way, either. But someone who lives with me, like Michelle, when she gives me strong advice, I can trust it. I may not always follow it. I might respond wrongly to it, but I know she knows what she's talking about because she's with me all the time. He's not just agreeing with him. He cares enough to bring the Bible to life. This is absolutely what every Christian needs in their life. We need someone who will quote the Bible to them. This doesn't mean it has to be the preacher. It doesn't mean that it has to be someone who's an expert. It just needs to be someone who is willing to say, I don't think the Bible would agree with what you're doing. Let's look into it. They will bring it up knowing that it's good for us. Every Christian needs that. We can be the friend that makes someone's life better. So did the sweetness of a man's friend. Don't look for the friend, be the friend. I think that's what the proverb is teaching. Be the friend. Be the friend that makes someone's life better. Be the friend that gives sweet counsel, not because it's agreeable, but because it says, I care about you, and what the Bible says is said, this is going the wrong way. It's just going the wrong way. But what if we can't think of anything to counsel? Okay? I want to be Wade's friend. It's sweet and gives him hearty counsel. But I can't think of anything to talk about. How can I be that sweet friend that gives hearty counsel in Wade's life? How can I do it? This rolled in my head for about three weeks. What if I don't have anything to say? Typically, what I do personally is I don't say anything. If you can't think of anything good to say, don't say anything. And if there's one thing Proverbs is taught, it's better to don't say anything. And so a lot of times I'm just quiet. I'll walk up and I'll just stand there and wait for him to start talking just because I'm making him uncomfortable. He's not talking. Now, a lot of times he'll start talking and that will spur something. But for me to come up with something, that is something that's been very, very difficult. The proverb is encouraging us to be the friend. So how do I be that friend? Ramona, you're going to love this. At Park Ridge, there is a man. His name is Neil. He would admit all of this. Okay, Garrett, but he would admit it all. He's about this tall. His back is all hunched over. If he stood up, he'd be at least six inches taller. But he's all you know, arthritis and that sort of thing. No lie. After every song we sing, he'll say, what is that? One of the words. Dad knows. What is sheaves? What is um, this? What is that? And honestly, it's annoying. It's, it's just crazy annoying. It's like, ask later. You're interrupting the service. Ask later. But he caught through the service. What is that? I don't understand. What is that? Sometimes he makes really, really, really bad jokes. Terrible, just, just stupid jokes. And it's funny because, you know, he thinks it's funny. Why does he do this stuff? Why can't he just be quiet? I believe this is it. 
If we can't think of anything to counsel, it easily turns into talking about someone who isn't there, and that he will not do. Have y'all ever heard him talk about anybody that wasn't there? I haven't either. He won't do it. He absolutely will not do it. So why do what he does? He needs conversation. He needs someone to be that friend. He's desperate for it. And they have prayer request time there. And every single one of them, there's two things that he asks for. We can, before he says it, and Ramona can tell you what they are, okay? The first one, I need a woman to give me some company. His wife passed away. I need a woman to give me praise for every single time. He lives by himself, and so he gets no conversation there. The second thing he prays for, there is a lady in the area where he lives. By the way, if he were here, I'd say the exact same thing, he would admit it. There's a lady where he lives is constantly borrowing money, constantly, borrow, borrow, borrow. He says, pray for God to make her pay me back. Well, she's made it clear she has no intention of paying him back. And it was making us nuts. It maybe still does. It was making us nuts that he would not take the advice, say no. Say no. Last week, his prayer requests that I need her to stop borrowing because I can't pay my own bills. The obvious answer is say no. He refuses. I cannot do that. I can't be mean to her. I feel like the Lord wants me to help her. I submit to you, the reason he can't is he just simply needs the conversation with her. He has no one else. So he needs the conversation. He needs the sweetness of a friend. And he doesn't have it. And so he will get it wherever he can, whether it was her or at church with us. It can be very frustrating unless you recognize it. And when the Lord showed me this is why Neil does what he does, now I can understand. I'm not going to promise it's not going to make me crazy, but now I can understand why he does it. There are some people that need a friend to talk to. If they can't get it, they will come up with whatever they can, and everybody can come up with something to talk about. About, do you know who did that? So-and-so did that. So-and-so did that. I was so proud. The person's in the room. I'm not going to say who, but the person's in the room right now. I was so proud. I asked a question last Sunday, and the person hesitated. And I thought they didn't hear me. So I can't remember exactly how I said it, but I wanted them, I wanted them to know I wanted an answer. This person said, are you asking me to gossip? I was so proud of that person. It occurred to me what I was asking for was, in fact, gossip. This person knew better than to answer my need for information. But there's some people that need any kind of conversation. Um, one person like that is that lady right back there. Michelle needs conversation. But she only wants the conversation from me. That's the, she doesn't want conversation with any of y'all. In case y'all doesn't tell, she doesn't come in and talk to anybody. She comes in right at the last minute. She's not interested in talking to anybody. But she is desperate to talk to me. She's expressed more than once that on the right here, 
it's not as enjoyable because she can't just open up and talk to me because Dad Ramon is there. I just said, remind me, they're still asleep. They're probably going to hear you. It's not the same as talking to you. Used to make me crazy. It's like, why are you doing this? It's because she needs the sweetness of a friend. She needs the conversation, and she will come up with anything to get the conversation started. So what do we do to be the hearty counsel with Wade? I don't have anything to talk to Wade about, but I know Wade is one of these people. How do we do it? A better solution is to ask questions. Guess where I got that from? From Neil. Neil asked question, 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 question. He came up to me two weeks ago with a bag in his hand. He had found an old camera. This thing was beat up. He said, I don't know if anybody can get this working, but if anybody can get this working, it's you. Would you see if you could work it? And I looked at it and I thought, this piece of garbage. Now I realize he don't care about the camera. He needs the conversation. He just simply wanted to break the ice. He used asking questions, and that will work every single time. I can ask Wade a question. There's thousands of things about Wade that I can ask and just spark the conversation. Why? Because I know he needs it. I know he needs it. He needs the sweetness of a man's friend. People like me, I could go for days and not talk to anybody. In fact, I prefer it. I, I, I like for things to go smooth, and I've learned that when you have conversation, you dredge stuff up, so just leave everything alone. That doesn't help Michelle. That doesn't help the quote-unquote Wades of the world. It certainly doesn't help the Neils of the world. He's miserable because he needs it so badly. But as I look at the Neils, as I look at the Michelles, now I can see that's what they really want. Ask them a question. Ask them a question. Every night, Michelle, do this, please. Just go like that. Every night, I ask Michelle, how was work? Honestly, I don't care. I just don't care. Did you bring money home? Fine. That's all I care about. But I know she needs the conversation. Not easy. But at the same time, I have a responsibility to be that friend, do I not? Especially to my wife. Even if we know the answer, it sparks conversation which many people need. And I submit to you, when we hear Neil ask, what is that? He knows. He's just, he just desperate for somebody to talk to him. You could be his new best friend. <laughs> Neil is very, very eccentric. Very eccentric. It's easy, easy, easy for him to get on your nerves unless you recognize it. And I think that will help with, with you and him. Let's shrink this down. I'm out of time. We'll pick up here next week. Father, thank you so much for giving Hezekiah the wisdom to include this proverb in the book of Proverbs. For whatever reason, Solomon left it out. Thank you that your word lasts forever, even if the writer doesn't want it there. That is so amazing to me. What a comfort it is to know that we have everything you wanted us to have because you saved everything you want us to have. That being said, please help us to ask why you saved it. 
Please help us to ask what you want us to do as a result of it. Please help us be the friend to these people that used to just annoy us and maybe still do. Thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.